Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Sports Legends of the Carolinas. I'm Scott Fowler, but today I won't be your host. Instead, you're going to be listening to reporter Alex Zetlow. He's a rising star at the Charlotte Observer who covers multiple sports, and he's also a natural in front of a microphone, which is why I chose him as my replacement today for one of the biggest interviews in Sports Legends history. Welcome to the show, Alex. Scott, thank you for having me. Right from the beginning of Sports Legends, Mike Krzyzewski, Coach K, was on our very first list of someone we absolutely had to have. But the week he happened to be available coincided with a family obligation I just couldn't miss. So I called in the Calvary. And the Calvary in this case is Alex. So for the rest of this episode, I'm going to be a fan, listening to what is a terrific and revealing conversation that you're going to love between Alex Zetlow and Coach K. Yes, sir. This legend doesn't really need an introduction. Better known as Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski served as an astonishing basketball coach for 47 years and has impacted the game and this state forever. There it is, the first time I've seen Mike Krzyzewski smile. Final seconds, Jordan got the jump. It doesn't matter, Duke has won its first national championship. In his 42 years coaching the Blue Devils, He led the team to five national titles, 13 Final Fours, and 1,202 wins, the most all-time. As if that was not enough, Coach K was Team USA's head basketball coach in three straight Olympic games, earning gold medals every time. And he has a remarkable story attached to each and every one of his accomplishments. Coach K, welcome to the show. Thanks for including me. I'm honored to be on and uh share the spotlight with so many of the uh, great people that you've had on so far. Absolutely. We are now a little over a year since you coached your final game. So uh, what has Mike Krzyzewski been up to recently? Yeah, I've been really busy, but the main thing I've been is happy, healthy, uh, uh, really glad. Uh, I have no regrets about retiring from coaching. I 
He's the luckiest guy in the world. 47 years coaching at my alma mater, West Point, Duke for 42 years, and I coached the U.S. team for 11 years. So uh, I, I maintain uh, uh, my office in uh, at Duke. I'm not, I have a lifetime contract at Duke as a ambassador for the school. Uh, doing a lot of the things that I did when I was a coach, except I don't coach or recruit. But I, I do a lot of speaking. I sp I've been speaking all over the country for the Washington Speakers Bureau. I have a serious XM show that I've had for 18 years. Uh, uh, we work in more with our nonprofit, the Emily Krzyzewski Center, that services about 2,000 kids here in Durham. And a lot of uh, things for the university. I'm also... Uh, professor now at our Fuqua School of Business where I lecture and although I've had a two-decade relationship with them and you know North Carolina is our home and our three daughters and their families live within 10 minutes of us we have 10 grandkids they keep you really busy and we're a close-knit family so it, it's been a joyous year really and uh, uh, Probably you've done a little bit too much speaking because I've been on the road too much. My wife thinks I'm still recruiting for Duke, I think. <laughs> yeah, you come into this office and you can't help but be reflective. I'm sure you've spent a little bit of this year being reflective as well. You know, I, I've uh, I've tried not to be reflective. Uh, you, you know, one thing about anyone who does something pretty well, they they uh, they form a platform. And that platform can lead to a whole bunch of different things, you know, hopefully good things. And uh, we get thousands of letters written to us, you know, during a year. Uh, autographs, uh, people wanting advice and all that. And really for about seven weeks after I retired, uh, uh, I spent with my assistant, Jerry, answering the thousands of letters. And uh, a lot of them were handwritten. And uh, by people that you may have called whose son was struggling with something and you helped them and they tell you they're three, four page written letters. My son's now a lawyer or a doctor or uh, or somebody you called uh, someone's husband who was in hospice and 20 years ago. And those were the things I reflected on. And I was amazed. It made me feel good because, you know, you're going to. We've won a lot. We've lost. Uh, but in that case, we've won. And uh, uh, it's kind of cool to uh, be able to think that you've had some positive impact in helping people. Absolutely. I will ask you to reflect a little bit just based on the, sure. <laughs> just based on the nature of the questions that I'm about to ask. You grew up in Chicago. Yeah. The son of Polish immigrants attended Catholic school. I read somewhere that eighth grade Mike Krzyzewski marched up to his principal um, at the school that didn't have team sports right. and asked to assemble a basketball team. And then when that ultimately didn't happen, you assembled an entire league. So I guess my question is, was Mike Krzyzewski a commissioner before he was a player? Before no, he was I just a coach? wanted to find a place where I could play. I was a good player. And, uh, uh, you know, in Catholic... You know, Chicago's a big Catholic city. A lot of Pol it's the second biggest Polish city in the world. And they have a thing called CYO, Catholic Youth or 
and a lot of the parishes had and schools had teams. Ours did not. And so I was envious and uh, I wanted to. So we formed our own team and we would play those teams. We weren't in the league, but we would play those teams. And uh, from my youngest days, I was kind of a leader. And uh, and there was, you know, it was a cool thing. There was no parental involvement. You actually, you you could learn how to lead. You could learn how to inter- interact. And uh, it was a beautiful way to grow up. And my buddies and I are still friends. You know, my, my best friend Mo was uh, just visiting me for a couple of days. And we've been friends for 70 years. And uh, because of uh, the relationships that were formed. How would you describe yourself as a player? And perhaps how would Mo describe you as a player? Well, Mo would think I'm probably better than I even think I am mm-hmm. because he was that good of a friend. You know, we've been able, whatever happened to one of us happened to the other. Uh, mostly good, sometimes tough things. That, that's the really test of a true friendship. For me, I, I was an all-state player uh, at Weber High School and the leading scorer in the Catholic League for two years. So uh, I was... Yeah, I just loved to play. I played all the time. Was in the schoolyard all the time. Yeah, you know, at that time you didn't have workout coaches or anything like that. And uh, in some respects, that's good because you were able to develop an imagination when you're out in the schoolyard alone, and uh, you imagined yourself being in taking the last second shot, making the last second free throw. You might play a whole game. You know, in imagination, and uh, uh, I love that. And uh, I think imagination is is so critical for anybody. You know, and uh, and what if they can find what they love and imagine, like doing great things, doing the thing they loved. And I found when I was in high school that the thing I wanted to be was a teacher and a coach. I knew when I was sixteen that that's what I wanted to be. And so I really have lived my whole life doing my dream and doing what I love. I've been incredibly fortunate to be able to do that. Yeah. Why not? Why didn't you as a 16-year-old want to be on Sports Illustrated wearing a jersey? Why didn't you want to be an NBA player? Yeah, you know, it was a different time. You were talking about the 1960s. It's... Well, that's a long time, over 50-something <laughs> years, ago. years ago. And, uh, you know, even when you're good, it wasn't, you have to be really, like, a freakish athlete to think that you're going to be in the NBA. Uh, but I wanted to play college basketball, and I wanted to uh, uh, use it as a means to then become a coach. Uh, I was recruited late to go to West Point. Uh, I was probably going to go to either Creighton or Wisconsin. And uh, my family really put a lot of pressure on me uh, to go to West Point. Uh, they, you know, I mean, their parents were born in Krakow, Poland. And all of a sudden, one of their sons has a chance to go to the greatest leadership school in the world. I didn't see it that way. You know, my, my mom and dad would say, that's where presidents have come. And I said, I don't want to be a president. I want to be a point guard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, but, uh, they, uh, 
I went because I trusted my parents and I call it the best decision I never made. Uh, but the relationship that I had with my mom and dad uh, has helped me forever. And it really helped me because everything I've done in coaching leadership is a result of going to the United States Military Academy and getting that foundation. So as you mentioned, you, you play at West Point, you then your playing days end in 1969. You then serve as an officer in the U S army until 1974. Then you join, then you join Bob Knight's coaching staff in Indiana for a season. And then this is something I found fascinating. You become a head coach at your alma mater 28. at 28 years old. In today's world, 28 years old would be the youngest Division One college basketball coach. And I know, and I know that the times were different, but did you feel young when you took no, that No, I didn't feel young because I was uh, one. I still feel young, by the way. But uh, <laughs> uh, no, I, did, I, I, I thought I was ready. Uh, my wife, Mickey, and I got married on graduation day. Uh, uh, we've been married now 54 years. Uh, we had Debbie. Uh, a couple of years into our marriage. And uh, I was uh, an army officer for five years. I was a captain in the field artillery. I led men and uh, trained with them. And uh, uh, so, and then I spent a year going to graduate school trying to get my MBA. I did not get my MBA because I got this opportunity to coach. So I had a vision of what and I, I wanted to get an MBA because I wanted to be a college coach. And I knew I felt running a college basketball program would be like running a business, not just running a high school team. And a high school team would be great, don't get me wrong. But uh, there's a lot more into it. And uh, and I really felt I was ready because it was my alma mater. I didn't think anybody would know West Point better than me. And really, a lot of my classmates were coming back to West Point to teach at that time. So uh, we took over a program that was 7 and 44 for two years. So really, the only way to go is up. And uh, so it's a great opportunity. I learned to be a coach. I learned to do everything during my five years at, at, at West Point. It was a great proving ground for me. What is everything? Everything, uh, like painting bleachers, laying carpet, uh, running all over the United States, recruiting, uh, sports information. Uh, it, it's like running a startup company. And uh, uh, they didn't have the resources that an ACC school would have with uh, many people that would help you in that. So... I think it really helped me develop uh, a key word in being a leader, and that's empathy. You know, so when someone was cleaning a floor for me at Duke, I cleaned that floor too, and so it's our floor. When someone, my, you know, to, and I, I was very appreciative of all the work that people did to bring about any success that we might have. Uh, for our, our program. And uh, there was no entitlement. Uh, I know that's a fashionable word and a very appropriate word in today's day and age. And uh, there was no entitlement. And uh, it was earned, prepared, and then appreciated. 
And uh, I think I've spent my whole career, uh, I know I've spent my whole career feeling that way. To introduce Mike Krzyzewski, here is his sponsor, the man who coached him at Army and hired him as an assistant at Indiana, Hall of Famer Bob Knight. Mike always kind of downplayed how good he was as a player. Mike was a very, very good basketball player, and, and I've heard him say on occasion that in playing for me for three years, about midway through the second year, uh, he thought his name was Dammit Mike. It's a real special thing for me to present Mike for induction into the Basketball Hall of Fame. There's no greater thing that you could call me but coach, and for a coach to get honored in such a way to come to the Hall of Fame, he or she must have great players and assistants. And so as the train's going in here and we accept this, I say we, I want you all to feel that way. Thank you very much for this. We'll be right back. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Welcome back. Five years at Army, and then you get introduced as Duke's head basketball coach. There is no doubt in my mind that Mike is the brightest young coaching talent in America. It's an honor to be uh, named head basketball coach at Duke, and I hope that uh, the confidence that these people have in me, you'll see results from it. The most enduring memory from that introductory press conference, and I'm sure you've had to answer this question a bunch, but the most enduring memory is a reporter asks you to spell your last name. Yeah. What, what else do you remember about that? Day? Well, the, the thing, you know, like I know it was a surprise to a lot of people, and uh, and people said our last year at, at West Point, we were nine and seventeen. We had lost six kids through injury, a bunch of different reasons, honor grades and uh but overall we were 73 and 59 and we took over a program that was 7 and 44 and uh, i actually thought one of our best years was that year the year before that i was offered the vanderbilt job and turned it down Uh, when i was going for the duke job i was offered the iowa state job so it wasn't like i wasn't in contention for other really good, but an ACC job was different. And uh, 
uh, I was appreciative of the, the trust that Tom Butters, DAD, had in me. And we developed an amazing relationship. And uh, he gave me that opportunity to coach. But he did something else that when you, everyone gets a certain amount of opportunities. I probably have got more than most, but opportunity that's followed by with belief is better than just opportunity. And in my career here at uh, my time there in Duke, uh, Tom believed in me at three critical times. And it's it paid dividends for me, him, and everybody. But uh, I, I owe a lot to him. You still have his baseball card on your desk. Yeah, he was... Uh, he was a minor league, not a, a major league pitcher until he got hurt. Brilliant guy and tough. But uh, you, 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 if you're going into battle, you wanted Tom with you or leading you. And uh, I learned a lot from him. And uh, I'm forever indebted uh, uh, to him. You know, you, my, my mom would always tell me, uh, you're not going to do it alone. It's absolutely right. And at West Point, we we're taught, you know, failure is not your destination. But when you get up from a failure, it may be that you don't try to do it alone anymore. Form a team. And, uh, I, and, and then form a team where you have good people on it. I perhaps might be getting ahead of myself, but you said that Tom believed in you three times in your right. career. What were those three times? Well, the second time, our first three years. Remember, the early if you, you before you were here, uh, the uh, uh, the '80s were probably the magical t decade of the ACC because guys, Jordan went after three years, but almost everybody or worthy they stayed for a long. Samson was four. There were just eight teams, so much talent. He did a great job even getting that ball up. Michael Jordan dropped down inside and had him. Mark Gallery has a dozen, and it's Duke 42, Carolina 34. So you have to build a program. You have to get a lot of recruits. And our first three years, we were 38 and 47. And uh, a lot of people at Duke, the Iron Dukes, they, they formed a, a separate entity called the Concerned Iron Dukes. No, it's true. I mean, they wanted me fired. And uh, uh, we lost the end of our third year to Virginia in the Omni, 109 to 65. And uh, a lot of people like get, get rid of them. And Tom said, hell no. And uh, uh, we had recruited the best recruiting class that year, but they were only freshmen. Then the next year, we made a jump and won 24 games. I signed a new contract. So he believed in me again. And during the mid-90s, after we had gone to seven Final Fours in nine years, I got a back injury. I came back too soon, and I really burned out. 
I had some physical and mental health issues where I had to take off for half a year. And I resigned. I went over to his house and resigned. And he said, I'm not accepting that. I'm like, you're going to get well. You're my coach. And I worked with one of my uh, former presidents, Keith Brody, for four months. And I came back and I came back better. And But if there was not that belief those three times, then there wouldn't be more national championships. There wouldn't be Olympic gold medals. There wouldn't be 42 years at Duke and 11 years with the U.S. So uh, along the way, people should allow people to help them. Uh, my, my thing is I tell people, all the time, don't be alone. Don't be alone. And, uh, and we're, in that, we're in a time where people are more alone, I think, than ever because they get consumed with social media phone what and they they don't share their their feelings and I, I was not alone and I credit my wife immensely uh, because we were partners and uh, would tell me the truth and it's always good if you can have some people around you who will tell you the truth uh, not just when everything's going good, but when things are not going going well. Who believe in you when you don't believe in yourself? Yeah, and but in in telling you the truth, if something is wrong, they don't they're not criticizing you. We need to change what's wrong, and there's a belief that you can change it. It's not you're not punishing somebody for 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 doing it. Like we all have things that go wrong. So that's being a human being. And if we accept the fact that things can go wrong, but if we have people who believe that we can make them go right, when we may not necessarily believe that to the level, that's what I think that's what we're supposed to do. Yeah. That was fascinating. I'll take us into the time machine back to March 1980. Uh, that was the date, that was the month of that introductory press conference. To paint the picture of the ACC at that time, a time that you considered the golden years of the league, Terry Holland is at Virginia, Dean Smith is at North Carolina, Lefty Drizel is at Maryland, Jim Valvano is at NC State. We came the same year. Yeah. yeah. I mean, these are coaches who would go on to establish themselves and their schools, and thus the ACC as a fixture right. of basketball and of college basketball. What was it like coming into the league at that time? I know you talked about it previously, but what, what is it like? What was it like? Well, it was in some respects overwhelming because it, it's like moving into a neighborhood that you never knew even existed. And uh, I can remember Coach Knight, uh, who was my college coach, telling me, uh, remember, you're not recruiting for Army. You know, like you have you have to change how you recruit. You have to change you have to broaden your your vision, and uh, you have to learn. You have to learn through experience, and uh, uh, experience is the best teacher. And uh, we did not inherit uh, a great, talented program compared with a good, good. But there was a couple recruiting classes that weren't at the level, uh, so we had a rebuilding job to do, and. Uh, uh, I had a great president, Governor Sanford, who was magnificent here. 
he believed in me too. And they all, he and uh, Tom Butters knew that this was going to take a while. And, uh, and you learn. Like I, in my, my first full recruiting year, we did not have a good year. We recruited too many guys. So we changed our style of recruiting and our method. And it was a method then we used forever. And uh, we didn't recruit as many, but we recruited them hard. We looked for talent, whether they could fit in our uh, environment and character. And so we recruited talent with character. We didn't recruit talented characters. And as a result, Johnny Dawkins, Mark Allery, Jay Bellis, Tommy Amaker, Quinn Snyder, you know, we have a list of not just talented players, but really good guys. And, and, and they fit Duke. And uh, we used that for the entire four decades. Uh, and it, it worked fairly well. One thing about this amazing crop of coaches in the ACC right. at that time, you guys seem to have great camaraderie right. amongst, amongst yourselves. You called it in a recent story in the News and Observer that Andrew Carter wrote. You called your relationship with Dean Smith one of the hidden things in the history of our league. Right. I'm wondering if you could expound on this camaraderie and also expound on your relationship with Dean. Yeah. During the 80s, uh, uh, my re- it was very competitive. And uh, I... Uh, I don't know if envy is the right word, but, you know, like you wanted a, he was the guy and that was the program. I mean, Dean was one of the great coaches of any sport of all time. And he built a program that was built to last. And, but during that time, coaches were not paid what they're paid today. Uh, Every coach who was coaching did it because they loved the game. They loved working with those kids the relationships. So there was a, uh, and the ACC, we, we functioned to help the conference and how we scheduled, how we, there was a sense of teamwork while we're being competitive. We, we developed friendships. I mean, Bobby Kremens, uh, Jim Valvano, he passed away 30 years ago. In the last four months of his life, we spent three nights a week together in Duke hospital. We were like brothers. Uh, Kremens and I are best friends. You know, the, the guys, Terry Holland just passed, but he and his wife, Ann, were great friends with me and my wife. It wasn't just the coaches. It was the wives. ACC meetings, you had fun together. You got to know one another. Uh, today's day, it's very territorial. Uh, there's not the collective camaraderie. There's, I, I, I don't think there's any camaraderie, to be quite frank with you. And... Uh, uh, so it was great. With Dean, once we started winning at that level, that national championship level, I, I understood him better I because I, uh, I was experiencing it. And we, we became friends. And my wife and Linnea became good, good friends. Not that we went out to eat together or whatever, but there was some mutual respect. And... Uh, and uh, we became friends and uh, with the so-called rivalry with Duke and Carolina, you know, you're never supposed to, you're supposed to, I hate the word hate, but I can, that's one word that I can't hate. 
and uh, uh, and people see that. But uh, yeah, I I've loved Dean Smith and respected the heck out of him. And Roy Williams and I developed a, a, gr a great relationship. So again, he was more old school too, because he was an assistant for for Dean, and he. He started coaching the same way, and uh, then achieved a you know an amazing level of success. One of the great he too is one of the great coaches of all time. This was the scene just moments before the starting lineups were announced. Both the teams arm in arm with a moment of silence, honoring the memory of the great Dean Smith. I think even uh, the closest Tar Heel fans to Roy Williams would tell you that Mike Shishovsky's statements in the aftermath of his passing were some of the most poignant made. Certainly he is uh, walking in similar shoes to that of Dean Smith. It's fascinating the parallels between you and Dean Smith. North Carolina fans didn't believe in him in his early yeah, times. Yeah, you're right. He was yeah. hung in effigy. He pulled into a parking lot and there there he was. And I'm and you literally submitted a resignation letter to right. the AD who hired you in the 90s. I mean, that's... That those parallels are pretty remarkable. Yeah, it's uh, it's they're great. Uh, I I love that, and and that's why the programs are very similar, uh, especially you know what uh, Dean did, and I think we we've been able to do it. You have tremendous loyalty from your players and your former players. Uh, you know, it's a, a family. You hear that word tossed around a lot. It's not necessarily appropriate for everybody, but it is for our two programs. And uh, he's, he did that, and I admired that. And that's what we tried to do. It's called uh, not having a team, but having a program. If you have a program, you develop a culture. And so I'm not saying our cultures are exactly the same, but we both have really good cultures. And, uh, and that uh, cultures based on values stand, and organizations that are based on values stand the test of time. I could talk about that forever. It's a, it can be, it, it's, it's, there are books that are written about that kind of stuff. Yeah. We'll be right back. Welcome back. You've seen a lot of greatness at Duke. There are, when I think of three transcendent characters uh, in the college basketball history, the college basketball lore, you coach three of them, and they're transcendent in three different generations and for three separate reasons. I like to say the three that I think of immediately, and I'm sure that you can think of many more, are Christian Leitner, J.J. Redick, and Zion Williamson. Mm -hmm. I want to ask you about those three individually. So Christian Leitner, I'm seeing a Sports Illustrated uh, poster right behind you that says devil of a team, and it's Christian Leitner having his bravado. What, what was it like coaching him? No, it's great coaching Christian. Uh, I will say before we talk about it, that Johnny Dawkins was the guy who got us started. Davis Rivers and Duke 
if he didn't come, he was the first great player to come. And his team was within a, a couple points of winning a national championship his senior year. But, and that started it. But in the history of the game, uh, Christian is probably one of the top three players in the history of the college game. And uh, he was the ultimate winner, four Final Fours, two national championships. You know, in order to win a national championship, you have to win six games. You know, in his four years, he was 21-2. and two. There's the pass to Leitner. Puts it up. Yes! He, uh, he hit two last-second shots to put us into final, final Fours. He's the all-time leading scorer uh, in the history of the NCAA tournament. Uh, and he believed in me and really the ultimate winner. And, uh, and, it, uh, and he was one of the easiest guys to coach because he, he worked and wanted to win at the highest level and was a leader, uh, sometimes an abrasive leader. But uh, at that time, it was, you could be a little bit more abrasive than you can today. Is there an enduring memory outside of that shot that gets played every March? Is there an enduring memory? Just uh, his confidence, you know, like he was never afraid and uh, uh, ever. And, you know, he, uh, he came through. I mean, that one shot is a great shot, but he came through all the time. And... Uh, yeah, I I, uh, I can't think of anyone who's had a bigger impact on our program than Christian. Uh, he he had, he really wasn't the most talented player uh, because Grant Hill or Zion Williams, they're some athletes, but he was he, he was the the biggest winner. And so then, the next player I want to talk, ask you about is JJ Redick. For someone who grew up in the triangle, who loved college basketball, and who grew up while who had a basketball consciousness, who formed a basketball consciousness while JJ Redick didn't miss from outside, I people he was someone to aspire to. Did you feel that while JJ was in school? Oh yeah, I loved I loved coaching JJ. And I can remember seeing him in high school the first time and saying, what great heart, talent, you know, cockiness. And, uh, uh, and he could really shoot. I think in the history of our conference, he's the best shooter. JJ with 27. He's a three-point shot away. Nope, he only sets the pick, and there it is. In the history of college basketball, Curry, him, he's in a small room. Uh, the all-time leading scorer here. Uh, uh, I, I feel badly that we were not able to win a national championship with him because he is that, of that ilk. <clears throat> but, uh, uh, I mean, he, he was so much fun to coach. And I gave him, not gave him, he earned the freedom to make his reads and 
no one worked harder to, before he got the shot. You know, people don't talk about shot fake. He got open a lot because he ran his defender into the ground. And uh, <clears throat> he, he did things that were incredible. And the shots, he, you know, he could shoot turning. Uh, there aren't many guys, a lot of guys can shoot. He can hit turning. And, uh, and his, his shots were deflating for an opponent. When I coached the Olympic team, Durant did that for us. He hit two or three from 35 feet and the game was over. <laughs> and, uh, JJ did that uh, for us and, uh, was, you know, so many defense was, were put out there to stop him, and he came through. He entered. He also enters the pro game, and people kind of don't give him respect, or perhaps that's harsh. But he isn't expected to have this long, enduring career in the NBA, and then he does. Were you sitting back saying, "I'm not surprised"? Well, he actually his first couple of years got knocked back, and Stan Van Gundy, his coach in Orlando really worked him hard and JJ would credit him immensely in that. And in between years there, his early years, he came back to Duke. He had to become a better athlete. He wasn't going to jump that much higher, but he could move quicker, run faster. And he spent about seven, eight weeks here. And when he went back to Orlando, he was the leader, not in jumping, but the leader in all their tests. Not this time. Inside, here is Reddick on a jam. I'll tell you what, I didn't know Reddick could even dunk. And that's who J.J. has been. That's why he had a 15-year pro career. He, everyone wants to win. Not everybody wants to prepare to win. And the great players really prepare to win. They, they they prepare. I mean, with the U.S. team, Kobe Bryant, LeBron James, these are ultimate preparers. J.J. was like that. He And he had routines, times, number of shots every day. And so there was not wasted movement or wasted time. And because the game, when it, the game he was preparing for, there's no wasted movement and wasted time. So he prepared that way. So you use the word heart, you use the word preparation for Christian Leitner and J.J. Redick. For Zion Williamson, I don't know words to encapsulate perhaps supernova, perhaps phenomenon. When he came here, it was that ESPN practically ran a Zion Williamson beat. What, what was coaching him like? No, I love coaching Zion. Zion was a great player to coach. He... You know, one, he, really, he, he was coachable. He wanted to be coached. The really outstanding players want to be coached. And I always coached my best players the hardest. And, uh, and if they, you know, reciprocated, then great things were going to happen. You know, for Zion, uh, he came in with R.J. Barrett, Cam Reddish, and uh, uh, Trey Jones. And uh, so it was a great class. And... Uh, he, he was a team player, 
And same like RJ. RJ had been rated ahead of them a little bit. They just blended because of their personalities. And Zion, Zion's just a phenomenal athlete. And when he was at Duke, he was in great shape. He, uh, and he got himself in great shape. And uh, if it, it, when he got hurt, it wasn't because he wasn't in shape. His shoe blew up. And sometimes in the, in the history of the game, it's not just our t- many teams. An injury weight uh, is like a, ends up being a deciding factor of whether you – it's tough to win the whole thing. So everything's got to go pretty well. And uh, that knee injury had knocked him out for three weeks. And he came back, but we never at the level that he was or we were when he went out. And so we were, we lost in the, uh, uh, the, you know, the, the final eight, you know, we just, Michigan state beat us and we weren't able to go to the final four. And, uh, but he, I felt that was a team that, uh, if we stay healthy, have a really good chance of winning the whole thing. They were a fun group to coach and, uh, and he was a great kid, and with all the attention that he had on him. Lost the basketball, and here come the Blue Devils. Barrett lays it up. Williamson throws it down. To still have fun. He never, he never performed with pressure. Really uh, kind of crazy for an 18-year-old kid. With, and with the social media world, uh, uh, they're different. You know, things changed. You know, Leitner... Reddick did not have that. Uh, Zion had that, and kids have that now, and you have to be able to handle all that. That's kind of what I was going to ask. Secondly, had you ever seen that before? No, there's a phenomenon, and because uh, uh, he's unique, and we already have a brand, so it's not like you know. And there are people who really wanted us to win and really didn't want us to win. But whenever we were on, there were a lot of people watching. And then all of a sudden you're watching him and you're saying, oh, I haven't seen anybody like that. And and our first game that year, we were lights out. So it, uh, that added, talk about putting wood on the fire, uh, or, <laughs> you know, there was a, a big fire around our team the whole year. And I, I was proud of our guys because they never looked at it as pressure. Other great, other greatness that you've seen, there was one great moment at the tail end of your career that I would be remiss if I didn't bring up. It was you were a part of one of the greatest moments in sports history that North Carolina has ever seen in that Final Four match right, with right. UNC. It was your final game. The hottest team, arguably, going into the to the tournament, and they have continued on here, ending the career of Coach K. After 42 years, what are you going to miss most? I'll find out. No, I'm, it's my responsibility right now. I'm, I'm only thinking of my team. I'll, I'll be I'll be fine. Uh, I, I want to make sure that my team is good. A, over a year has passed. I'm curious how you look back on that experience now. No, I feel very fortunate that I was in that moment. I mean, 
one, I'm ending my career. I could end my career not making the NCAA tournament, losing in the first round. Our run in the NCAA tournament was magical. And uh, the basketball gods were good to be able to give that, uh, to be in that arena. Uh, and I, I call it the f- being fortunate to be in the arena and against two of the great programs in the history of the game. Obviously, we would have loved to have won, but th- the opportunity to be in that moment was was terrific. And uh, I don't look at any you – know, I regret that we weren't able to play for the national championship. So for me, it wasn't a Duke Carolina thing. We're trying to win a national championship. And we're there in the semifinal game against another great team. And you're within a a play of it going either way. And they made that play. And so I've been doing this a long time. Uh, You know, to have that opportunity is tremendous. And uh, again, we're, I was proud of my guys and then it's over and, uh, what a way, you know, again, it's not, you know, storybook endings, uh, <laughs> don't happen that often. And it would have been a storybook ending to win the whole thing, but to get to that position was, you know, I'm very proud of that. Pretty remarkable. Yeah. Racing. Pull up. Three. No good. Rebound Carolina. And the fairy tale ride for the Tar Heels continues. And Coach K's legendary career has come to a close. I've been blessed to be in the arena. And when you're in the arena, you're either going to come out feeling great or you're going to feel agony. But you always will feel great about being in the arena. And I'm sure that that's the thing when I'll look back that I'll miss. I won't be in the arena anymore. But damn, I was in the arena for a long time. And these kids, you know, made my last time in the arena uh, an amazing one. We'll be right back. Welcome back. Um, your replacement, John Shire, right. a player that you adored, have, have said that you adore. He's 33 years old, or he was when he took the mantle. You were 33 when you took the mantle at Duke. Life has changed, society has changed, college basketball has changed. I'm curious, what challenges does he face that perhaps a 33-year-old Mike Krzyzewski didn't? Well, we have a program already, and we had a plan. You know, uh, John was on my staff for eight years, and I coached him. He's a national champion uh, for four years. Uh, And uh, when I knew I was going to retire, I knew a year in advance, and some people, you know, they say that I wanted a farewell tour. Uh, everyone else made it the farewell tour. We had a succession plan. And the succession plan was John was ready to introduce him a year in advance 
And he did not have to coach a game for 17 months. And so the plan was where I would not recruit. He could recruit actually two classes where those kids knew they were playing for him. And he could learn even more knowing that he's going to be the head coach. And so when he took over, he took over running, not trying to figure it out. I mean, he was ready, but he also he also prepared uh, every kid that was coming. We had two great recruiting classes, and he did an unbelievable job with that. But we had a plan. This these, these things don't just well. I believe in succession. That, that's my military background, and I thought we had. Uh, I know we had a great plan. And it wouldn't be a great plan unless John was terrific. And he is. So it's it's worked out really well. And I try to help behind the scenes, not in coaching his team, but in giving him any advice I can, being that head coach, the things that now come about in running, not just uh, not a team, like we're kind of like a Fortune 500 company, you know, with all the demands that have been placed and, uh, you know, a little bit of, of advice in that regard helps. You mentioned your succession plan. The succession plan comes after 42 years at Duke. Well, you did have offers to leave. I yeah, was, yeah. And, you, and you had offers to go coach the NBA. You obviously love the pro game. As you've said before, you coached the Olympic team. What made you stay? Well, when we talked about the early years with Tom Butters and that, uh, you know, one, I love Duke. I love the state of North Carolina. I mean, I, we are North Carolinians. We've been here for 43 years. You know, this is a great state, great people, and it, you know, it's beautiful. And so uh, it would have – I've never even – although I've been offered, just like a, a lot of coaches, dozens of college jobs. I, I mean – I'm not, but there's so many people have been offered. I, I never even spent a second thinking about a college job. A few times I have with pros. And, uh, but at the end of the day, I loved college. I loved Duke. I didn't feel like it was right. Actually, probably the closest I came was in 2005 with the Lakers. And, um, uh, uh, a lot of money, although by that time you're making a lot of money, not as much as they offer. <laughs> but uh, 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 but lifestyle and whatever. And I turned it down. And then a few months later, I was, although you don't get paid for it, I was offered to be the first national team coach. A lot of people don't realize before that, there was just like an Olympic coach, a world There was no continuity. So it's a four-year commitment to being a U.S. national coach. And we had three of those commitments. And uh, so I got my so-called fix with the NBA, coaching some of the greatest players in, in the history of the game. 2005, who were the Lakers at that point? Who were the, the Lakers had just been... Shaq and Kobe kind of had their divorce, <laughs> and uh, but Kobe was there, and I I knew Kobe. We recruited him, and uh, and 
1990, when Dave Gavitt took over, Dave Gavitt was one of the great men in the history of sport. And, uh, and he offered me the Celtics job. And growing up, those two are iconic brands, uh, the Celtics and the Lakers. And, uh, but uh, the, it really one of the first questions I asked was, uh, could I, if I'm going to take it, could I meet with Kobe and Shaq to see if we can get them? <laughs> I knew I'd be a better coach if, if I did take it, if both of them were still on the, on the same team. They, I think they would make up for any of the mistakes or a lot of the mistakes that I might make in transition. I'd love your take, uh, just speaking generally about college basketball right now. I'd love your take on the changing of the guard that has occurred in the ACC over the past couple of years. You retired. Roy Williams did so a year before you. Jim Beheim, a good friend of yours, did so a year after you. And I'm curious, why is this happening? Is it a function of time? Is it being accelerated by the challenges in college basketball today? name, image, likeness, transfer portal, or is it just, as I said, this is life, this is how it goes? Well, I think some of it has to do with a few of us got old at the same time. <laughs> so we didn't get out because the game changed. We got out because you spent 45, 50 years doing it, and uh, you're in your 70s, and there may be some other things you need to do, or you, you can't, don't want to keep up with that pace. Uh, but... Uh, uh, the ACC uh, historically has been an amazing conference. I, I think it, it's gotten a lot of success without having to work at it, like with marketing, uh, being strategic. Uh, and I think it's caught up uh, to us uh, a little bit and uh, where we you have to treat it as a total entity and look at it. And basketball came easy for the ACC especially with two of the major brands uh, with Duke and North Carolina in it. Yet the two or three games we played every year were two of the two or three of the top five viewed games. You know, the, the needle was moved all the time by a, a Carolina game against somebody, a Duke game against somebody. And, uh, uh, you can take for granted that you, you your job's already done, you know, or we're going to, or the only decision you have to make is to put those games in the sweeps. The sweeps are when the TV people get their ratings. And so we're going to have big ratings. We're going to put those games. So our games against Carolina were always in February and March. And, uh, and, uh, and there has to be more strategic thinking in that regard. And then because uh, basketball has become so territorial and with money, name, image, and likeness, transfer portal, that there's not the camaraderie amongst coaches. It's called common ground. And there's not as much the ground you're looking at is your ground. And in order to like the SEC football is common ground, you know, like you have to develop common ground. And how do you do that? It's a function of leadership and working, working together. And perhaps this is an obvious follow-up, but why is it important to share common ground, to have 
North Carolina helped Duke, Duke helped North Carolina. Well, why is that important? Well, be, well, the, overall, what's most important is the game. You know, and why are you in the game? Are you in the game because you love the game? You want to perpetuate the game? Or are you in, are you in the game to make money, get fame? Uh, if you take care of the game and promote it and advance it, you will get money and fame. If those are the things that you start off with, you may not get it. And uh, it's just what's happening in, in sport right now uh, and in college basketball especially. And there's really uh, no leadership from uh, the so-called parent organization, the NCAA. The, uh, college basketball needs to be run as a business. It's a billion-dollar business. It's the only thing that runs the NCAA. Football does not run the NCAA. Football runs conferences and make millions of dollars. The NCAA does not get one penny from football. And so their main source of revenue is men's college basketball. My feeling is you should combine men, men's and women's college basketball, make it an autonomous group, have leadership structure, marketing, and run it like a business. But what what do I know? I think a lot of people would say you know a lot. <laughs> Final question. Now that your career is over, now that you are going on these speaking engagements, is there a autobiography, a definitive autobiography in your future? No, you know, I'm one of the, we've been hit by documentaries, books, and uh, my wife and I, when we looked at this year to begin with, I said, I want to figure out like a new version, but I don't want to be committed. I don't want to do TV. I don't want to sign contracts or I have to be someplace unless it's a single speaking engagement. And uh, I want to figure figure it out. And I we we figured it out really well this year to have I call it being an independent contractor, and uh, where I only have to depend on me. I can help my school, my family, and whatever. And I know I I'm responsible for what I'm doing. I really don't have to depend on anyone else. And that freedom to do that has been terrific. I I've loved this past year. Uh, I do not miss coaching basketball. I've squeezed every little bit out of that. I love the game. You know, I I miss relationships with players, but uh, I'm glad I have better relationships with my grandkids. And uh, and you know, I'm I'm a curious person. I'm a lifelong learner. I've learned so much this year. Not how to try to beat Beheim Zone or uh, Royce run and jump or whatever. Those days are past, but uh, learning about leadership and teamwork has been fascinating for me. Mike Krzyzewski, the independent contractor. <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show. All right. No, I've enjoyed it. Thank you for doing such a great job. Thanks so much for listening and for supporting local journalism. Find more on these interviews, including special video features at charlotteobserver.com slash sports legends and pre-order the sports legends of the carolinas book at sportslegendsbook.com and if you like what we're doing out here please consider a digital subscription to the charlotte observer 
Sports Legends of the Carolinas is a product of the Charlotte Observer. It's hosted by me, Alex Zetlow, and Scott Fowler. And it's produced by Lou May Ali Sally and Jeff Siner. The executive producer of the Sports Legends franchise is Kata Stevens. The sports editor of the Charlotte Observer is Lydia Craver, and our executive editor is Raina Cash. The director of audio at McClatchy is Davin Coburn, and McClatchy Audio's interns are Zoe Williams and Christina Silvestri. See you next time.